Halsey, founder of the Foreign Policy Project. Hi, I'm Lucy, founder of Women in Foreign Policy. So this is our special edition episodes where Lucy, you and I team up to interview a kick-ass woman working in international affairs, and we're focusing on women in tech. Absolutely. And this month, we've interviewed Alex Dance, who works for ICANN. And Kelsey, you particularly selected this interview. Can you explain why? Yeah, well, first off, ICANN is doing really interesting work engaging the entire globe on internet governance issues and also kind of safeguarding the concept of digital identity as the internet expands. And Alex, in particular, is working using digital strategy for communications, but also to build community and to engage many users that may not be aware of how the internet is set up, but may also be in in need of use of the internet. And I really love the energy that she approaches her work with, but then also it will be really interesting to hear her experience as a person you know, at tech events, it can be hard to find women. And additionally, she's in charge of representing the entire Latin America and Caribbean regions. So this will be great to hear. Amazing. Let's hear what she's got to say. Our guest today is Alexandra Dans. She is Latin America and Caribbean Communications Senior Manager at the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers. Hi, Alex. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Can you tell us what is ICANN and what does it have to do with Internet governance? Okay. Well, these questions questions seem very simple, but it's very difficult in reality and very technical. Uh, I try to explain to my family and friends almost every day what ICANN is. So this is the best answer I came with, uh, is that ICANN is a non-profit, global and multi-stakeholder organization that coordinates the unique identifiers across the world. Unique identifiers are what you type into your computer to reach another person on the internet. It can be a name or a number. And multi-stakeholder means ICANN is made up of a number of different groups that represent represent different interests on the internet. So you have, for example, the governments and international treaty organization, uh, the organization that deal with domain names or IP addresses, uh, the at-large community, meaning average internet users, and so on. Um, we are part of a larger internet ecosystem. We don't we are not in charge of, of internet governance, but we are an important player of, of this um, governance of uh, unique identifiers. Why are internet unique identifiers important in global politics and global identity? This will be very a very short answer. If you don't have unique identifier, you cannot connect to internet. You know when when you put a name uh, in your browser, it's like a, an easy translation for a number, for an IP, uh, IP number. So if you don't have IP numbers or IP or domain names, you don't have internet access. So you are Senior Communications Manager for Latin America and the Caribbean. What does that mean? 
being a, a senior communication manager for Latin America and the Caribbean is, is exciting. Uh, the, our regional community is very active and passionate. I think this is a characteristic of Latin Americans and Caribbeans in general. But this also means they are they are strict. They want a differential treatment, and they expect to be served in their in their languages, which in in our region means at least Spanish, Portuguese, English, and French. Um, I was born in Montreal, Quebec, uh, which is a French Canadian province, and my parents are Uruguayan, and they were political refugees after the coup in in Uruguay in 1973. Uh, and when I studied communication in the Université du Québec à Montréal, I also took two years of Portuguese classes. So I would say that one of the biggest advantages uh, I have to do my daily job as a communication manager for, for the region is to speak all those languages. What, what does your job entail? How do you communicate your mission, like ICANN's mission? The thing we do as, as communicators are very eclectic, eclectic and, and you know this, right? So um, it's difficult to describe exactly what, what we do, uh, but we do many things. For example, we have media relations with the local press uh, when we organize a workshop or participate in an event in the region when we have to, to release a, a story. We do also social media through our Spanish, Portuguese, French, and English uh, Twitter handles, and in Facebook, almost uh, this almost on a daily basis. We also produce content, so a monthly regional newsletter. We develop uh, new um, brochures, audiovisual material. We collaborate with with art. We we write. We collaborate with other publications, writing articles. Um, we have presence also in different events across the region. So we have a booth with where, where we we are in co contact with the regional communities. Uh, so this is like all the things we do. Obviously, uh, it's a challenge. Um, we are not only translating our global messages, we also have to contextualize and, and regionalize, uh, know our audiences, know which uh, channels uh, work the best in um, in our region. So, yes, that, that's like the biggest challenge that, that we have. And is the whole goal here to make sure that the, the Internet feels accessible to everyone? Yes, and, and the thing that we want is that uh, we're looking for more participation. We really want people participating, understanding what ICANN is, but also participating in the, in these processes and, and policy efforts. And so um, that's why we have presence in every region. We also translate everything. We offer translation in, in all six U official UN languages and, and also in some specific cases, we do translations in other languages. Like in my region, we, we also translate in Portuguese. But uh, like I said, the, the difficulty here is to deliver a message that is relevant for the, for the region. Uh, speaking their language is important, but also uh, knowing them uh, their challenges, their specific challenges, and producing things that are relevant for them. Uh, I think this is also what differentiates someone working as a regional head of communication in a global organization than someone working in a communication department in a, any local uh, organization. How do you think, so you, you've mentioned translation, for instance, and how um, enthusiastic the community is, but how do you think your job in Latin America and the Caribbean is different than it would be if, for instance, you were doing it for Asia or for North uh, America. The, the level of understanding of uh, our work is very different 
in North America, then in Africa, then in Latin, Latin America. Uh, in, in North America, I think you don't need to explain what ICANN is <laughs> uh, to a certain point. In Latin America, you have to start uh, from that point. Uh, there is also differences uh, in the channels uh, mm -hmm. through which we, we communicate our messages. So um, I know in North America, for example, me traditional media re relations are very are still very strong. In South America, uh, it's not that this is not true, but we are very strong in social media, particularly, and, and Facebook and Twitter. So maybe um, in an event in North America, it will be very important to be in to be um, talking with a journalist from specific media outlet. But in South America, yes, we invite the, the the press. We still need to to work a lot with them on explaining what we are and, and the technical issues uh, that we work in. But we also uh, focus particularly on uh, what we do on social media. So so. This is like very different uh, from region to region. I know, for example, in, in APAC, uh, they work in completely different channels, like social media, but not Facebook, right? So, so those are, I think, the, the main, the main uh, differences, that the level of understanding and the channel that you use in each uh, region to deliver your messages. Alex, do you feel the global south, so to speak, is well represented in global affairs right now? I mean, you are based in Uruguay. How does it feel to speak on behalf of an entire, very diverse region? And then also, you're one of the only females in your position. So is this a lot of effort? Do you feel like you're speaking on behalf of all of these kind of underserved populations? Can you give us a glimpse into, into your feelings on that? Yes. Uh, okay, so let's start with the, the, the first part of the question. So actually, yes, uh, I think we are uh, well represented. Uh, I will tell you why. But particularly regarding internet governance. Uh, the Caribbean Internet Governance Forum, for example, started in 2005. It has since been convened annually by the Caribbean Telecommunication Union, and it's the first regional forum of its kind worldwide. It's the first one, the Caribbean one. We also have uh, the LAC-IGF, or the Latin American and Caribbean Internet Governance Forum. Its 10th edition will be held in Panama uh, next month. So the idea here is, uh, in, in this forum, is to bring the regional voice to the global IGF. There are also many national internet governance initiatives in countries like Argentina, Barbados, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Mexico, Paraguay, Peru, Uruguay. I'm sure I'm, I'm forgetting some. And for example, in last, last, during last year, um, Global Internet Governance Forum, an Argentinian lawyer that I'm proud to call a, a good friend, Andres Piazza, uh, was among the speakers selected by the United Nations to close the event. So, yes, uh, I think the interest and the engagement is, is intense in, in my region and we are represented in the discussions. But now, like for the second part of, of your question, obviously there are challenges. Uh, the language barrier, for example, uh, like 
you know, everything is happening in English and, and translation are not enough to promote a full participation from non-native speakers. There are also barriers that are specific to women's participation. There are lack of financial resources or cultural norms about women's appropriate roles and leadership capabilities, among others. So we can imagine that for a woman coming from a developing country that doesn't speak English or uh, is a non-native English speaker, it becomes tremendously difficult to have a voice in, in global affairs. How do you feel technology and digital in general have change the landscape in Latin America? I will speak more globally, uh, but the impact of internet, I think, is very, very clear in the policy arena that now that we see, for example, authoritarian regimes trying to control uh, internet by any means, uh, I don't want to speak specifically, uh, naming, I don't want to name countries, but, you know, this is a reality. I think the internet became the perfect platform for dissenting online voices. This is true in Latin America, it's true in Middle East, it's true also in the United States. And and when uh, before the foreign policy decisions were made through secret negotiation, now we see new players in the diplomatic stage. We see corporations, small businesses, cyber society, the media. They are all communicators and also, also all um, potential diplomats. I think if we talk about uh, impact, the benefits of this uh, are transparency and legitimacy uh, on one hand and empowerment on the other. But obviously there are also challenges and the internet can become uh, easily a war weapon. Its control gives great power to the government uh, during a conflict. And there is also the issues of surveillance, online censorship, and, and finally anyone can use the, the platform to, to voice uh, extremism, xenophobia, misogynism. So I think the, the impact is clear. Uh, if it's positive or negative, uh, it will depend on which side of the table we are seated. Wow, yes. I think this makes me think about what's ahead and what the next generation of of global leaders should be working on. Do you have any hints for us? You obviously work at, at the heart of kind of harnessing this power and making sure that it's accessible to all. But what do you feel is the kind of untapped potential of tech and digital in diplomacy? What do you wish we were we were working on? Um I read somewhere that, that technology could become the future gold. So we are talking about geopolitical power here. Uh, for innovation and national competitiveness to occur will depend on the context and which regulation and infrastructure we have in place. So if I come back to, to what we do at ICANN, uh, we commissioned a study in 2014 about this topic. And the study found that digital trade enriches these nations, but that not all nations engage equally in that exchange of goods, services, ideas, and information, because there are e-frictions that get uh, in the way. So by e-friction, we mean, for example, internet penetration rates, incentive, taxes, and national competitiveness will increasingly depend on the health and strength of a country's internet economy. So at a national level, and, and maybe focusing on, on what we do at ICANN, I would focus on this potential by identifying and addressing the causes of these uh, e-frictions. Right. Let, let's go back to talking more about your own career. How did you get to the, your current job? 
Okay, on Twitter, I have a disclaimer that says that all views are my own except those that I have subconsciously inherited from my parents. And I... (laughs) And I think this is true. This applies perfectly. Uh, as the daughter of two political refugees that worked in the international relations field, it was like my destiny. Uh, my parents worked all their lives for international development agencies and projects. They traveled a lot. It was usual to have dinner with an ambassador or to see projects and financial reports everywhere at home. And, and there is also the fact that we spoke Spanish at home, but French at school, and we watched TV shows in English. So growing up in, in that context, Uh, speaking different languages uh, and in that international context was naturally opening the path for my for an international career. How did you know that working on communications and digital outreach was a good fit for you? You know what? I will be honest here. I wanted to be an artist. <laughs> I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> that was my, my, my goal when I was a teenager. Uh, I, ha- I I think I have a people skill. I love to work mm-hmm. with people. I I love to uh, to talk with people. So uh, communication. I think it was like I knew I wasn't going to be an actor. So I said eh, maybe communication is the next thing for me. And uh, I studied communication in my master's degree, but my my undergraduate studies were in political science. So I did a little bit of both things. I love that story, how you basically took, you know, one uh, passion path and and turned it into a career. (laughs) So great. (laughs) Alex, if you think back in retrospect, which kind of advice would you have given yourself at the beginning of your career? Uh, I will will make a a bold claim here, but uh, it's more difficult sometimes when you're a woman and you have to be twice as good. I think this is true in any field. It's an objective claim. I really believe this. Uh, so my, I think my advice to a younger me would be to be fearless, perseverant. Don't be afraid to speak your mind. Don't be afraid to be proactive, come with new ideas. Uh, I think now that I'm older, I, I understand that a great leader will value this and will want to be surrounded by talented people, no matter their gender. Um, I also um, tell, I will tell me to stop trying to be the perfect daughter, the perfect student, the perfect friend. I think this is a problem that many women face, uh, this kind of struggle for perfection. So I will tell her like, yeah, to speak up, to be brave and, and to cut her hair if she wants to and to learn to love herself. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> you know, international governance a lot involves a lot of bureaucracy, whereas technology typically is all about innovation and moving quickly. What is it like to work at that intersection? Do you ever get frustrated? And for listeners out there that may see bureaucracy kind of getting in the way of progress, what advice would you give them? Um. I think, first, let me say that I think I'm a very lucky person because I really don't feel that bureaucracy affects my daily work. Um, There are obviously always processes that we need to follow, but this order, if I can use that word, is needed in any big or especially global organizations. So uh, my recommendation for an an organization to reduce the bureaucracy of its uh, workplace would be to delegate and particularly to empower its employees. And for the employees, I would say um, to build relationship with others and to be smart, uh, 
when I say to be smart, I mean, you you know, you can't win in every battle, but if you choose wisely, if you you have allies and if you speak up, I think it will be easier to to get what you want. And and if I can say something also, uh, I want to say like a particular, I quote, I'm an atheist, but I particularly like this quote from Madeleine Albright. She said, there's a special place in, in hell for women who don't help each other. And I really believe we must support each other, particularly when we are in a leadership position. So if, if you're a leader, uh, I will tell you to, to be an example, a motivator and a mentor for, for young women that are starting their career. Mm-hmm.